0: So Happy New Year, everybody. Today is the first Sunday of 2020. 2020 felt like it would never come, right? For such a long time. But it is finally here. This is the first Sunday uh, of 2020. Um, and usually New Year is a time when we are most optimistic... You know, it, it only goes downhill from here, You know, but we're the most optimistic, most hope filled and also most determined, man, this year I want to make a count. Like I want, by the time I end this year, I want to have accomplished these things. I want to have learned these things. I want, I want to have cemented certain habits. Um, and that's how we tend to start the new year. Um, for a long time, I was really cynical about this, you know? Like, all my friends would do all these New Year's resolutions. It's like, work out, you know, eat healthy, um, you know, read two books a week. And I'm like, let's just wait till January 5th, and <laughs> we'll see what, you're, you know? I, like, I, I'm a bit more cynical when it comes to certain things. But over the, the course of a few years, I'm beginning to realize that it's a blessing, actually. Can you imagine... If after December 31st, there was, I don't know, let's make up a name, Movember first, and then after that, after 30 days, and there's another month with a different name, and there was never like a cycle back to the beginning, or, you know, after December 31st came December 32nd, and then 30... 30. What comes after third? <laughs> wow. Wow. It's been a long year so far. Um, so can you imagine if there was never like this cycle back into a new beginning? I feel like there's some wisdom in that from the Lord where we get to experience a new beginning. We get to experience um, what it feels like. Okay. So maybe 2019 wasn't my year. You know, let's pray into this new year and see what God is able to do. And we get to have this gift of a new year, you know, every 365, sometimes 366 days. And that's a gift from God. And so over the years, I've started to become a little less cynical, a little more hopeful. And I hope that that's the same for you as well for 2020. Um, And also what happens during New Year's is um, you start thinking about all the New Year's resolutions you, you want to tackle this year. Whether it be, you know, um, in terms of health, whether it be in terms of career, whether it be in terms of, um, you know, strengthening relationships or spending time in a particular way. This is the time of the year when you make all these resolutions. Uh, But this is my encouragement to you as as you are thinking about what the year 2020, what you want it to be about it is you know in the same way that you want to have certain goals for your physical body for your time for your finances whatever area it is that you want to tackle make sure that there is also a resolution for your spiritual health as well so often that gets kind of you know that that's like oh well and if something happens and then- maybe I'll get closer to the Lord or like, maybe I'll, I'll try praying once in a while. Maybe I, I'll join a discipleship group. And often it gets kind of thrown to kind of the, the, the end of the list. Uh, but, Often we don't really think about it as something important and something even like measurable, something quantifiable. Um, And that's often because we don't place a lot of importance on it. So that's my encouragement to you. If you are still thinking about, okay, what do I want to pray into for this year, 2020? My encouragement to you, it isn't just, you know, make sure that you have, you know, goals for your physical body, for your health, for your career, your time, your work, your family. But that it would also include a component for your spiritual health as well. So I saw this post on Instagram the other day. I forget where I got it, okay? So just bear with me, okay? It starts with this. Healthy groceries, $100. So we're at USD here, okay? Um, $100, that's too expensive. But when it becomes a dinner date, $100 is, ah, oh, it's reasonable, right? Therapist, $130, that's absurd. Who would spend $130 within an hour, right? And then when you go a trip to Target, Target is like, uh, what, is there a Korean equivalent to that? Emart? it's a little more glorious than Emart, i would say <laughs> it's like a higher level of glory uh yeah so i don't know what to call it but yeah target is like anyway i have uh, i have you know issues with the target um so a trip to target 130 deals in one trip it's like oh they're actually great deals and you justify it Average college class is $1,000. That's too expensive. But then getting the new iPhone is $1,000. It's probably more than $1,000, actually. Um, it's like, oh, it's a necessity. Like, I have to spend this money. Kids' summer camp, uh, it's $180. Is way too much. But a new pair of shoes for $180. Oh, like, they were on sale. I, I think it's, it's good. It's still a lot, huh? $180, anyway. 60 minutes of exercise. I wish I had time. 60 minutes on Instagram. Oh, my gosh. Time flies. Right. One hour on the phone with parents is like, oh, it never ends eternity. But one hour of watching Netflix is let's watch another one. Right. And then it finishes with saying everything in life is about priorities. Where do you want to be 10 years from now? And so this is just, it's not to induce guilt, it's not to induce shame, but it's to help us, especially as we're starting this new year, uh, for us to think through very deliberately what are our priorities. Where do we place um, our time? Where do we place our energy, our focus? Um, and it's a, a, the perfect question to ask ourselves, especially at the beginning of the year. So starting this week for the next eight weeks, for so the following seven Sundays, we'll be starting out the year 2020 talking about spiritual disciplines. And before you, your eyes kind of like glaze over and you check out, um, spiritual disciplines... Um, Depending on your upbringing, you may have had positive or negative experiences with this when it's wrongly approached. Actually, it can become what Jesus would call a heavy yoke where it kills the joy. The last thing you want to do is open up the word. The last thing you want to do is go to God in prayer. That's like the last thing you want to do. Like you'd rather die than do these things. And it becomes a yoke. Instead of becoming something refreshing, something life-giving, something that builds up your relationship with the Lord, something that gives you fresh energy and joy, it becomes something that sucks the life out of you. And that's often what spiritual disciplines can become when it's wrongly approached. And so if you have grown up in a church, for example, where, you know, maybe it was, you know, Bible reading program for the entire year, but instead of it being an encouraging experience of like, hey, let's do this together, it's actually not, you know, insurmountable, like you can actually read this book. Um, it's actually approachable. It's manageable. Uh, but instead of that, if it was something where it brought shame on you, like, oh, you didn't read that chapter. You're behind like you're a bad Christian. And if it became something like that. Then it can actually you can have a kind of bitter taste in your mouth afterwards. And so it would turn you off for perhaps an entire lifetime from pursuing spiritual disciplines. But that was not the intent of it. The Lord intends spiritual disciplines to actually be life giving. For it to be something that draws you closer to him. Can you imagine dating a person and dreading every second of that date? You're like, ah, I guess I have to meet with them. I guess I have to eat this pasta and ask about their day. And you dread every moment. Do you think intimacy would Grow in that relationship. Not if you approach it. Well, you're going to be single very soon, by the way. If you, that's how you approach dating. Um, but it's not going to do you any good. If anything, it's going to do you harm. The more time you spend dreading that and doing things that you hate, then the more you're going to begin to resent that person and feel more distant from them. In the same way, when we approach God as well, if we look at every avenue that God has given as a gift for us to draw close to him as something that's a chore a burden, an obligation, a duty. And the last thing that you can think of is like, oh, I'm going to find joy in this Bible reading. Then it's something that can actually distance you even more from the Lord. And so I, I wanted to make sure that we start off this series on the right foot so that the next seven weeks won't be about, oh man, this is one more thing that I need to learn. One more thing I need to get under my belt. Like one more thing to, to throw into my already busy schedule. We don't want to approach it that way. We want to make sure that we start in a place where it becomes life-giving and it becomes something that whether people are telling you to do it or not, you take it upon yourself. Like, I, I want to read the Bible. I want to learn how to pray. I want to learn how to become generous. I want to become, I want to learn how to serve the house. Like these things that, that in the perfect ideal world, nobody would have to teach about this. Like it would kind of spring up from the depths of your soul. But often living in a broken world, that's not the case. And so that's why we need to teach on it. So with that said, um, just like, Choosing to spend money on things that will yield a bit more long-term results as in, you know, like that list that we just read as we've been praying for this year, the year 2020, the two things that God has really strongly placed on our hearts to focus on, it is prayer and the word, those two things. Prayer and the word. And as Pastor JP was saying earlier today, we're trying to steer away from this idea of like, it's kind of like the elementary, like foundational stuff. But it's like you can graduate from that into more important things. Like that is not the approach. That's not the approach that Jesus had towards the spiritual disciplines either. Um, it is an essential, it's, it's, it's essential. Like it needs to be there no matter what your calling is, no matter how long you've been a Christian for, no matter how many times you've read through the Bible. Uh, these are things that need to be an essential part of our spiritual walk. So this is kind of half taking inventory of where, where am I at? spiritually, like if you were to take an evaluation, where am I physically? Where am I financially? Where am I career wise? The same way that you could do that. You can also do an inventory. Where am I spiritually? And I encourage you to ask this question, um, especially as you start out this year, like, God, how are, that's DTR. You know, where are we? Have I enjoyed my time with you this past year? Is there something that I want to hear from you this year? Is there something that I want to experience with you this year? Um, Are there fears that I have that I feel very alone in that I need to invite you into? All these are questions that we need to approach with the Lord. So half of it, it is taking inventory of where we are at and making necessary adjustments in our lives, not just behavior-wise, but also heart and mind-wise as well. Um, And then the other side of it is just... Just adulting, you know, it's adulting part of adulting. The biggest part of adulting is learning to take responsibility for your decisions and living with the consequences of such. So if you were to make a parallel with, okay, I'm going to make a decision this year to eat pizza every day, right? Halfway through the year, you can't complain if you've gained like 30 pounds. You can't complain. You have to learn that your decisions will have a repercussion, and you have to learn to own that as well. So in the same way, when we're talking about spiritual disciplines, um, learning to adult in a way, learning to take ownership of our spiritual walk with the Lord is extremely important. When we come before the Lord and we feel like we haven't no matter how long we've been walking with them, there's certain things that are still missing in my life. You know, you won't be able to say, well, like my pastor wasn't really that great. So, you know, that's why I've never really read the Bible or that's why I've never really prayed. The Lord's not going to be like, Oh, well in that case, Oh yeah. Yet Susie has your (laughs) past. Come on. Okay. I'll give you a freebie. No, (laughs) that's not how he's going to, he's going to, he's going to say, what a waste. We had an entire lifetime together to draw close and no matter who your pastor is no matter what resources resources were available to you no matter who your discipler was you still had an option to take charge of your spiritual walk and your spiritual growth so that's part of spiritual adulting so if we were to think about spiritual disciplines like you know in parenthesis we can call it spiritual adulting as well one of the first things i'm going to do this year is embarrass my brother who's here so this is a picture Wait, is my brother here? Ah, oh, okay. This is a picture. <laughs> the good looking one here is obviously me. This, this one in the middle is my younger brother. Uh, and this is this my older brother. Some of you might have met him in the past. He lives in California. Uh, so this was us growing up. And when we were kids, you know, now you see us, and I'd like to say we have a relatively good moral compass like we're decent people somewhat right where we turned out okay but when we were kids we were terrors like i don't know how my parents made it out we all of us are like two years apart and the things that we thought were hilarious were now that i see my friends parenting i'm like oh that was terrible of us to torture my poor mom in this way there's so many things that we did and and anybody who teaches young kids or anybody who has young kids knows how true uh, uh, um, what's it called? Uh, sin. Oh, what's the sin you're born with? Uh, Sin nature. Uh, it, uh, there's any, why can't I think of it right now? Original sin. Okay. Original sin. Okay. Yeah. You guys know what original sin is because no one taught you to lie, but you lie. No one taught you to like, you know, punch your brother secretly in the back seat, and yet you somehow you picked it up. No one taught you to steal their, you know, their their, you know, chocolate or something. Or nobody taught you these things, and yet somehow, as a kid, you learn. Like you you learn how to how to do these things. There's one thing that we used to do. Um, no, I mean, no one taught you to throw a tantrum in the middle of a grocery store. No one taught you to beat, beat one another up. None of these things are taught. It's like somewhere from deep within you that comes out. One of the things that we used to do when we were kids is we weren't allowed to watch TV all that much. And so we became experts at at being able to discern when my mom's car was pulling up the driveway. <laughs> you guys did that too, Right. <laughs> Yeah. Right. So we'd be watching TV. I don't know what we were watching he man or you know, something like back then. Uh, you get the younger people are like, what's a he man <laughs> Pokemon or something equivalent today. So we would be watching this as soon as my mom leaves. We would like all crowd around the TV and we watch it. And then the moment we hear like her breaks, like we're like, oh, okay, turn it off. And then we go to what, whatever we will pretend we were doing something. I'm sure my mom knew. I'm sure. Like you'd hear, like you know, us running through the house and trying to pretend we were doing something. And by the time she walked in, we're like sweating, but we're like on the couch. We're like, "What's up, mom? What is going on here?" Uh, but we thought we got away with it, right? So we became experts at at hiding, uh, hiding sins, or you know, like being disobedient in so many ways. And then, you know, this is another picture of us growing up, right? That's, um, yeah, teenage years weren't kind to me. So this is when we were teenagers. And during this time, the older we got, the more my parents' desire was, I don't want you to just behave when I'm around. Like, I need you to learn to do the right thing, especially when I'm not around. And that is part of good parenting. You don't want them to behave because mom said so. You want them to behave because it's the right thing to do. And that's how, you know, the older you get, they try to ingrain the sense of right and wrong um, in you as you grow old. And this is probably a, the, one of the latest pictures we've taken together as a family about two years ago. Um, so uh, this is me. This is my dad, mom. This is my younger brother. And this is my older brother. And this is his wife. And now he's raising kids of his own he's got three kids as well. Also about two years apart. I'm praying for them (laughs) because if they're anything like we were, when we were kids, man. Um, yeah. And so now they like, you know, my older brother, he's become a parent himself and now he's raising his kids, you know, how to do the right thing. Um, and how to actually become a person who does the right things, not because he's watching, not because his wife is watching, but because it's the right thing to do. And so that's, what good parenting should be. And so the, all this is, I'm not just showing you pictures just for the heck of it, right? Um, I want us to turn together uh, to the book of Philippians chapter 2. The book of Philippians chapter 2. Book of Philippians chapter 2. I have some slides for us to follow along, but not all of them. So I encourage you to actually turn to the Bible. And I'll be reading from the NIV. Starting verse one, it says, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, consider others ...better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests... ...but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same... ...as that of Christ Jesus... ...who being in very nature God... ...did not consider equality with God... ...something to be grasped... ...but made himself nothing... ...taking the very nature of a servant... ...being made in human likeness... ...and being found in appearance as a man... ...he humbled himself... ...and became obedient to death... ...even death on a cross... Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the father. Then it continues on. I like you to look up for this part. It continues on by saying, therefore. My dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence. So this is the equivalent of my mom saying, I'm going to go to the grocery store. And especially since I'm not home, you should know what to do. You should know not to watch TV. You should know to finish your homework, whatever it was. So especially in my absence, because I'm not there, it's all the more important for you to do the right thing. And then it continues on to say, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. And so this is a result of, look, you need to do the right thing. You need to be one in heart. You need to be selfless in mind. Jesus, he had everything at his, at his disposal, and yet he humbled himself and God exalted him. And now, therefore, therefore Christ has set that example before you. Christ himself has walked that path. Therefore, now that I'm not here, it's even more important that, you know, this, you know, to do the right thing, especially when no one's checking up on you. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. So the first part of this very brief verse says continue to work out your salvation. It means if you have to continue to do it, then it means it has to be continually that you must do it intentionally persistently you need to have determination where you fail at times you have to pick yourself up and do it again you have to continue to work out your salvation and working out your salvation for those who were raised in church you're like what do you mean work out your salvation isn't salvation something that you just receive it's like it's like i give you a cake and then i tell you now work out that cake And you're like, how in the world are you supposed to do that? But salvation is the kind of gift that needs to be worked out, needs to be walked out as well. And not just casually, not just like, well, if it happens, great. If it doesn't, oh, well, there's always next year. You are to do it with fear and with trembling. Intentionally, with the fear of the Lord upon your heart. With a trembling, knowing that God is sacred and holy. So you ought to do with that kind of attitude. And then this is what it says. Because for it is God who works in you. Not because it is your good intentions that are working in you. Not because you promised that you would do that, right? Right. Or not because, hey, this is your New Year's resolution. That is why you ought to do it. This is why you ought to walk it out and work it out with fear and trembling. No. Paul says it is because there's an agent that is at work within you. And it is the Holy Spirit. It is God himself that is working in you. There's something within you at work that will allow you to work out your salvation with fear and with trembling. It is God who works in you to will and to act. It means to desire and then to act out on those desires. Does that make sense? We're not talking about just behavior modification. If that's what it is, then Bible reading is like easy. Prayer is just easy. If all it requires is just, okay, I'll I'll just clock in and I'll just push through and I'll just do it. But that's not Sufficient, first of all, and that's of no good as well. So what God is after the Holy spirit that is at work in you is after is not just that your behavior changes or you do the right thing or you fulfill all those new year's resolutions. You have God is after transforming your will as well. The root of those actions, the root of that behavior, your will and for that to overflow into how you act. And then lastly, it is in order to fulfill his good purpose. So often our understanding of what's God's will for my life, what's God's purpose in my life, we ask this question, we throw this around a lot. Um, Often our understanding of this question, it has a very fatalistic kind of bent to it. We're like, okay, we're just sitting here, and God's out there, and he has this master plan for my life. And I just get to ask him, so God, so what do you want me to do with my life? And he's like, okay, I want you to be um, a doctor, and I want you to marry this person, and I want you to move to to this country, and that's my will for your life. And we have this idea that's a very fatalistic thing, like I have no say in it, I have no agency in it, I have no steps to walk out, there's no partnership in it. So our idea of what God's purpose in my life is, is very fatalistic in the way that we think about it. There's no say, and most conveniently, no responsibility. That's very convenient for us to be like, well, okay, so you want me to be a doctor. Cool. Um, So whether I study or not, it's your will, right? If it didn't work out, then I guess it wasn't your will, right? (laughs) Or if I make the wrong decision here, I don't really need to say, like, I made the wrong decision. I can say, like, actually, God was very misleading. Or, like, God made the wrong decision for me. You get to relegate the responsibility part of it. And that's very convenient. And yet, that's not how life works. That's not how faith works. That's not how relationship and partnership works. It is very convenient. And yet, that is not the way that the Bible approaches God's purpose in your life. So let me challenge you with this. Part of God's will and God's purpose in your life is that you work out your salvation. It's going to take work. It's going to take wrestling. Just because you need to put effort into it doesn't mean that, oh, I guess this is my effort, my will, my purpose. It's none of God's. No, because it's God's will and because it's God's purpose in your life for you to work out your salvation, that's why you need to work it out. Does that make sense? So imagine if there was... A coach, you know, and the coach came to me like Susie. I'm going to make you the, the best, the number one wrestler in the world. And I'm like, okay, that's your will. That's your purpose. Great. All right. Go <laughs> do it. And he's like, no, no, no. You're going to have to work out every day for 16 hours and maybe we'll get somewhere. You know, I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa then does that mean that I actually have to put work into it? Like, does that mean that I actually have to fail? Does that mean that I actually have to put myself out there and risk things and say no to things? And like, yeah, yeah, that's going to be part of the will, part of the plan, part of the purpose in the same way. When we approach God's purpose and will in our lives, his will is for us to be diligent as well for us to work hard for us to, Work for six days and rest for one, right? It's not just rest for all, right? But it's also work, also be diligent, also steward the time, the money, what you've been given, steward it well. So that's God's will and God's purpose. And so this is kind of uh, where we're going to start talking about what spiritual disciplines are all about. That means that when we approach spiritual disciplines, it requires us to understand the gospel requires an understanding of the gospel so christianity isn't the same as moralism moralism being like i know what's right i know what's wrong and i'm going to adhere to a set of rules or laws it's not the same as moralism in fact it's actually the exact opposite because moralism says do the right thing so that you can be a right person so if you do a you become b that's how it works but christianity says from the get-go you're not a good person I hate to break it to you, no matter how good you think you are. You're not a good person. Um, even if you tried really hard to become a good person on your own strength, you cannot do it. You could spend years, decades, your entire life trying to be a good person, but you don't have it in you. You don't have the power in you. You don't have the desires in you. Everything about you is broken and fallen. You are not a good person. That is why you need God. God is not just an addition, not just a chuga, not just, you know, an additive that you use to kind of better your life. So from level three, now I'm going to go to level four. No, you are at level negative a million. And now you get to be positive a million. So without God in the equation, you have no hope. And this is what the Bible says over and over and over again. Without God, you have no hope. Without God in your, even in your Modest New Year's resolutions, there's no hope, right? So Christianity says you're not a good person. That's why you need God. He saved you. Not only that, he gave you a new heart. And not only that, he filled you With the Holy Spirit, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead. So it's like not just a puny little spirit. It's like the spirit of God that raised Christ from the dead. That's alive in you. And he now empowers you to behave rightly, relate rightly, and live rightly. So that means the repercussions of understanding the gospel is that we need to understand that we are utterly unable to do it on our own. Second, the only person in all of human history... That live this out perfectly It's not you. It's not your mama. It's not your neighbor. It is Jesus and only Jesus. And then third, we are now empowered by the Holy Spirit to live lives of godliness. We are now empowered by the Holy Spirit to live lives of godliness. This is very important because when we think about the gospel, it cannot just be like, okay, somebody modeled it for me. Somebody showed me, okay, this is how you do it. And now... It's up to me to try to emulate that as well as I can. That's not what the gospel says. The gospel says you've seen it modeled for you, and now you're being given the power to do it as well. So it's almost like saying you watch somebody drive and reach a certain destination, and you have a car, and you're like, okay, now I'm going to reach that destination, but you're not given any fuel. You're like, good luck with that. You're going to push that car all the way, and you you won't really make it. But God doesn't just give us the car, doesn't just show us the path and show us the destination, but he also gives you the fuel, what it will take to get you there as well, and that is the Holy Spirit. And then lastly, probably a lot of you can't really see it. um, We are invited into intimate relationship with the Godhead. So this is my challenge to us. It is to reframe the way that we understand spiritual disciplines. It is not... It's going to be hard at times, yes, but it's not something to make you more righteous in your standing before God. This is not going to make you a good person. Only the gospel can do that. You being able to open your Bible once a day and reading that in itself is not going to make you a good person. I'm sure it'll help. So, you know, still do it. But that in itself is not going to make you a good person. Only the power of the gospel can do that. Um, but we need to think about it as we are being invited into intimate relationship with the Godhead in the same way that you would want to get acquainted with a person. Like you're like, man, I really want to get to know Danny. Great. Like, I'm going to never talk to her. I'm going to see her maybe like once a year. Um, I'm going to theorize about what she's about. Um, and I hope someday we'll get really close. Like that is absurd, right? In the same way, we kind of approach God the same way, right? We're like, I really hope I can get close to you someday, God, and then we do nothing about it. It's not like, hey, Danny, when are you free? Let's talk, you know, like, hey, how are you doing? Um, let's, let's go out for dinner. Let's, you know, it's not like that. Um, and then I cannot expect for me to get close to somebody the same way when we approach with God. Sometimes it's not rocket science. Sometimes we make it out to be, you're like, you need to have this third heaven experience in order for you to be. No, like turn off your phone, pray for five minutes and see that'll help. Then try the next day. And then the next sometimes it's not rocket science, although we make it out to be. So yes, it requires us to understand the gospel. Otherwise spiritual disciplines will become a yoke. It will become like, ah. I really don't want to read the Bible. I really don't want to pray. I'm really busy. And the last thing I want to do is serve. It will become something that really drains you and sucks the life out of you. Instead of being an avenue for you to draw closer to God, for you to serve the body, for you to get to know other people. It doesn't become a life-giving avenue. It becomes a life-sucking avenue. So it requires the gospel. Second, it requires work as well. We have to face this just because it's hard. It doesn't mean it's not good. You know, it's hard. It is hard. We'll, we'll revisit this, you know, in three months and we'll see how many people are still like on task and still reading their Bible or praying or, or whatnot. It is hard. And that's something that we cannot like, wish away. We're like, oh, no, no, no. This is super easy. It comes so naturally to me. doesn't usually, right? doesn't usually. There's some temperaments that actually lend themselves to discipline a bit more. But it doesn't mean that it's easy. Uh, it's going to require work. And that's why, thankfully, uh, Paul, he wrote in 1 Timothy 4, he says, train yourselves for godliness. It doesn't mean that it's automatically imparted to you. It doesn't mean it just kind of pops up overnight. You have to train yourself to be godly it requires work for while bodily training is of some value godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come so this is you train right now in this lifetime and it's going to bear fruit not just in this lifetime but even more so in the lifetime to come i've actually never thought about that cuz i'm like i got enough to worry about for like the 80 years that i'm here in this old or these days it's probably like 90 for the 90 years that I'm here in this, in this life, I've got plenty to worry about. I don't have to think about the next thousand, the next million. Uh, but if Paul's not lying and if he's not exaggerating, then it means that whatever you're doing in this lifetime right now, it's going to bear much more fruit, even in the lifetime to come. It means your prayer life right now, it's going to count towards eternity to come. It means your giving right now, it's going to count towards eternity to come. And these are things that we never think about. Because we're like, I can't think about eternity. Like I have enough worries on my own. But Paul says, like, you don't understand these small adjustments in your life, these small investments in your life. You cannot afford to not invest in this because it's going to yield so much fruit, not just in this lifetime, but also in the lifetime to come. So it requires work, but the work is worthwhile. It's worthwhile. It's like, you know, that this stock is going to go up in price and like, you got to cash in on, like you, you got to go for it right now. Like this is a time it's going to pay, have major payoff. That's, that's what Paul is saying. Like, like these small disciplines, these small acts of faithfulness in this lifetime that is so finite, it's going to bear so much fruit. You have no idea. So he's saying it requires work. It requires training. It requires diligence, accountability, It requires all of that, but it's going to pay off. And then lastly, it doesn't just require diligence and work and understanding of the gospel. It also requires a new heart. So it's not in us to want to do the right thing all the time. Um, as, as good as a, of a person as I look, like, uh, or you are, um, I don't have it in me, in my fleshly heart, to want to do the right thing. And if I can say, you know, if, if Paul can say that, I can say that all the more Paul in Romans seven, it says, for, I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. It means I want to do this, but then my flesh or my body, it does the opposite thing for I do not do. This sounds like a tongue twister, right? For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil, I do not want to do this. I keep on doing. Does that make sense? In his mind, he's like, this is what I want to do. This is where I want to be. I know that this is the right thing to do. And then the flesh, his body is like, okay, and does something completely different. And he's like, oh, why is it so hard? Why is it so hard for me to do this? The point is, you don't have it in your flesh. You don't have it in your nature to want to do the right thing. Everything in you is going to want to gravitate to do the wrong thing. The evil that you do not want to do. This you tend to keep on going towards. This is where you gravitate towards. And so for in order for you to begin to even want different things, change your desires, you need a new heart. And no one can give you that, the kind of heart makeover, other than God. So this is my encouragement to us, even as we approach this year, when you find yourself being discouraged. And this happens to me very often, you know, like when I open up my Bible and I'm like, ah, Leviticus, okay today's Leviticus. We're going to talk about how to divide a dove in half and then what to do with this blood and what I'm going to be like, ah, Lord, I really don't want to read this today. Like Holy Spirit, you need to give me a desire to love your word because I know I don't want it right now. And I'm going to need to ask for a new heart. There's going to be days when I'm so busy or I'm so overwhelmed or so anxious. The last thing I want to do is pray. The last thing I want to do. It's like, are you kidding me? I have enough on my plate. What do you mean I'm gonna spend time in prayer? That's the last thing you're gonna to want to do. That's when perhaps most importantly you need to ask the Lord, Lord, I I need you to change my heart towards prayer. Because I know that I should want it, but I don't right now. And I can lie about it, you know, and pretend like, oh, no, 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 I really love prayer. It's just I'm really busy. No, like God sees it all, right? And so it's okay for you to be like, you know what, God? I really hate reading your word. It's like really boring and really dry and, you know, wherever, whatever you feel about it. It's not like God's going to be like, oh, my gosh. I did not know that you felt that. No, God knows it. God knows it. He's not going to be shocked or scandalized. He's going to be like, okay, now we're being honest. Now we, can, we got something to work with. All right, let me start changing your heart towards the word. Let me start changing your heart towards prayer. Let me start giving you joy as you serve. Let me start changing something that you cannot change no matter how hard you try. Let me do that for you. And you'll find yourself, you know, halfway through the year reading a passage you really really don't want to. You know, you find yourself tearing up over Leviticus and how to divide a dove, you know. And it's not going to be because like, oh, you found the secret formula. No, it's because God is giving you a new heart. And he's going to bless you through the word. He's going to bless you through prayer. He's going to bless you through giving. He's going to bless. He's not out to torture you. He's out for your good, to grow you, to draw you closer, to grow your knowledge and understanding, for you to live a life that is, you know, exciting and joy-filled and sustainable. And, you know, the worst kind of testimony and witness to the world would be like miserable Christians. You know? Have you met those? I have sometimes, yeah. Like people who are like, look like they've defeated, like they they hate life, they hate everybody, but like I have to read the word, I have to go to morning prayer, I have to do this and that. And, you know, like I, I look at people like that and I'm like, there's nothing in me that wants to follow your God. Like nothing. Like I'm not like, whoa, what God do you follow? Like I totally want in on that kind of life. No, there's nothing in me. That wants to do that. And in the same way, when we approach our relationship with God in a way, that's like, oh, he's taking from me. Um, like, ah, it's costing me so much. There is cost. But if that's our only focus, like it's costing me so much, it's so much sacrifice and there's zero joy. Like nobody's going to be like, wow, Chloe, I really want to learn about this God that you love so much. No one is going to do that. In the same way, uh, my desire is for us to really have a year where we do focus on spiritual disciplines specifically reading the word and devoting ourselves to prayer. It's not going to happen overnight. It's going to require workshops and teaching and, you know, failing and then trying again and failing and trying again. It's going to take that. But if we can end the year at least with a different outlook and what it means to grow spiritually through these spiritual disciplines, then we've succeeded. And if we fail miserably, that's okay. That's okay. There's so there's still next year, the year after, and the year after, until Jesus comes back. And so I don't want us to approach this with a sense of like, I've, I better prove myself. Um, otherwise, I'm a failure. Otherwise, I, you know, I am not godly. I am not. That's not the way that we want to approach it. It's an invitation. Let's do this together. Let's encourage one another because at some point, we're all going to need encouragement this year. Let's encourage one another. Let's invite one another in. And let's make this an opportunity for us to draw closer with God. My fear... Would be for someone to be a part of new Philly for like, say 10 years and actually never have learned to pray on their own. I think no matter how big a church is, if you were to take a sample from their church and you ask them, like, do you read the word? Perhaps not every day, but like, do you, have you ever read the word? Like, do you have, do you have a Bible? Um, Do you ever spend alone time with the Lord. And if they're like, well, not really, but, um, I'm there every Sunday and I listen to every sermon and you're like, Oh, okay. So unless there's a preacher up there with a mic, you actually never read the word or like, unless there's somebody up there who's leading a prayer topic, you actually don't know how to speak to God on your own. It's like saying, I can't date a person. I can go on a date with a person unless there's a mediator there. It's like ridiculous, right? Like, no, you're not dating that person <laughs> in the same way. Like, wouldn't it be such a shame if We spend so much time at church and getting to know one another and all of that. But then at the end of the day, we haven't actually learned to relate to God, relate to him through prayer, relate to him through his word. It would be such a loss. Um, and that's, so that's my desire when we were praying about, you know, what will this year be about? It's not like what would be flashy and exciting and like, yeah, it's going to get us, you know, like really excited about this year. We could have gone that route. And I'm sure this may be flashier ways to say prayer in the word, but, um, as, as a pastor here and as leadership, as, as elders and, and staff members here, our desire is to see like, let's, let's actually grow this year, like go deeper. Let's actually learn how to pray. If we don't know how to pray, then this is a year for us to tackle that. If we have never read the word on our own and we need somebody to lead us through, then this is a year to do it. Like, let's meet up with accountability. Let's meet up with John Michael as he leads, like, these monthly meetings. And let's do this together. And perhaps at the end of this year, some of you have never read the Bible ever in life, you know, from from cover to cover— We'll be able to be like, wow, this is year where I actually I didn't understand everything, but I read it. I read it. I got ahead. You know, I, there, there was something um, that, that I, I took on and I wanted to give up so many times. And yet the Holy Spirit was there and there was encouragement. There's accountability. And I actually read this. And for you to be able to end the year that way, like it doesn't mean you need to do it perfectly, but it means that you need to give it a shot. And so that's my desire for us as we approach this year. I'm going to close with this, Um, and maybe we can have Pastor David come up. This is um, kind of touching a little bit on the history of our church, and not everybody was here for the history of our church. Um, So for those of you who are relatively new to New Philly, this is a church that was birthed in revival. Like, it was, we're just a small nobody church, in the middle of nowhere, like a remote hill in Shilim somewhere. And we were meeting on a third floor, some fifth floor, actually, fifth floor somewhere. And the Holy Spirit, I don't know why and I don't know how, he just chose to visit us. And he met us so powerfully. And during these years where he encountered us and he moved in us, and we would see so many incredible testimonies where you couldn't say, like, oh, that's because they, you know, they. Are under you know the discipleship of this person, or that's because they you know submitted to this program it was no like it has to be the holy spirit i've never seen somebody um, you know i've never seen depression break off somebody like that in in such a supernatural way i've never seen somebody who um has anxiety disorder, you know like kind of like it just break off in in this way i've never seen somebody healed in front of my eyes. Like These are things that the Holy Spirit did at the very beginning of our church. And for many years, that was something that we welcomed in time and time again. We just honor you, Holy Spirit. We just want you to move. Um, And that was His grace. It really was. And over the years, um, as this began to wane, um, we began to, instead of becoming dependent on the Holy Spirit and deepening our relationship with God, we began to depend on more man-made structures. So like we would have these great prayer meetings and yet nobody prayed at home. Like nobody actually had a private prayer life. We would have these great sermons and yet nobody actually knew the word for themselves. And over time, we became so dependent on man-made structures. Like I cannot, you know, I I, I need a mediator. Like I need somebody to mediate, you know, between me and God. I need somebody to be God for me and lead me to God. Like all of that is good for a season, but it became where like, we didn't really know how to pray. And we didn't really know how to read the word. We didn't know how to give on our own accord. We didn't know how to do any of these things unless somebody was forcing us to, somebody was, um, keeping tabs on us. And slowly over the years, that really killed the joy. It really killed the joy. Nothing worse to, to kill that, that joy of like, man, I get to pray today. Like, God, I've been looking forward to this moment where I, I, I get to meet with you. It's been a crazy day. But even this, these five minutes on this, like during my commute, like I get to just meet with you. And I've been waiting for this moment all day. Like that kind of joy, like I'm so looking forward to it. Like that was killed and smothered and quenched by this, like you need to pray. If you're a Christian, you need to pray, you know, and. It just, it, it killed um, the joy of us really wanting to draw closer to God through spiritual disciplines. And so part of our recovery as a church, um, I believe what God has in store for us is like, okay, now let's let's start again. We could do all these exciting things. We could do all these flashy things, sure. But right now, the biggest need for us is, okay, God, you know, I'm not going to depend on someone else's faith. I'm not going to depend on collective enthusiasm or like whether I, I, you know, like the music that's being played up on stage or, you know, on something else, like I actually want to know you, God. I want to know your word. I want to meet with you in the secret place where nobody's taking attendance. Nobody's going to be checking up on whether I met with you, but I, I just, I want to meet with you. And that's something that I believe God has in store for us this year for us to spend a year not doing these things because we ought to, but actually doing these things because we get to, and we experience the grace of God, the encouragement of God. We experience breakthrough in our lives. We get to relate with him personally, not through someone else, but personally, we get to relate with him. and We get to experience him in our personal lives like never before. And so that's my desire for us as a church. And so I'm going to close today just with, uh, work, um, with prayer. And this is what I would like us to pray together. If you've had bad experiences in the past where you've either felt shamed or condemned or looked down on because you didn't do certain things or you couldn't keep up with certain things, where like reading the Bible became something traumatic for you, where it wasn't encouraging, where it wasn't life-giving, but it became this this thing that you dreaded, this thing that you just really didn't want to do. And there's so much bad experiences surrounding that. I want you to take a moment to pray, God, I need a new heart regarding this. I need you to give me a fresh start regarding this. I, I don't want to live a lifetime distant from you just because I had a bad experience. God, you need to redeem it. You need to give me new joy, new hope for this. gone through those kind of seasons or that kind of upbringing. Let's pray, God, I don't want to do this on my own strength. I don't want to make all these grand promises and, you know, try to muscle through it just with good intentions and force my way through it. I I want it to be life-giving. I want to encounter the power of your Holy Spirit through it. The things that I would never have done on my own accord. The ways that I would never have spent time on on my own accord. I want to experience the power of your Holy Spirit as you transform my heart, as you transform my desires, my will, and my actions. I want to do this with you this year. I don't want to do it on my own strength. say that you are the one that draws in the weary the heavy laden you invite them in not to give them another yoke not to give them another burden but you say come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden and i will give you rest your burden is light your yoke is easy so God we say that we want to do this with you we want to hear your voice once again in our prayer closets we want to encounter you through your word all the things that we might have taken for granted or we might have dreaded as an obligation or as a duty Father we need you to work in us to desire the things that we naturally don't desire we need your grace and so we ask God that we would invite you in, that we would allow you, we would give you permission to speak to us, to rearrange what needs to be rearranged, to do things not out of guilt, but out of joy and privilege and pleasure. We need you to do this in us, God. And we want to please you not just by doing it, but also in the way that we do it heart that is overflowing with joy, a heart that doesn't lose hope, that gets up again when we fail, a heart that fixes their their hope and their gaze on you, that desires closeness, desires intimacy, desires new heights and new depths. We pray, God, that this would be pleasing in your sight, that we would encounter you like never before. We would experience you like never before. We need you to do this in us, God. We thank you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name.